You ready? Hit, that's a hit. But we could just we we could just talk about bears like boom like three two one boom bears. There's bears in the hills and they got freaking slammed this year in the prickly pears. And we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about why prickly pears were more dominant this year than other food sources. Kind of. Well, not kind of, but we're not really going to completely talk about why they were more dominant. You know what I mean? Well, we can talk about why. You gotta still pay attention to that stuff. Well, that's it. So that's what I was kind of getting at in a in an earlier conversation when we were talking about, you know, really the lack of precipitation this year. That um, the right amount for the prickly pears, but the lack of precipitation for other food bearing crops like the acorns and the other, you know, some of the berries that we hunt, some of the sugar berries or the manzanita berries, some of the things that we hunt in the spring, they weren't completely existent, but there was enough, you know, early spring rain to, you know, provide the prickly pears enough energy to get through. And then, you know, this year it, it really left, uh, you know, bears pretty exposed in central Arizona. And I didn't hear a whole lot about southern Arizona, but central Arizona, man, the, the guys did really well. And, you know, certainly stirred up some controversy about the <laughs> the number of female bears that were, that were killed as well. There's a, I mean, think about it logically, there's this simple reason why even with the drought we still saw good good uh, food production on the prickly pears they're a cactus we live in a desert yeah. doesn't really matter if there's low rainfall they're still going to produce something on some years they're going to produce better but like you and i were talking about previously sometimes those years when there's really awesome prickly pear fruit on the plants you're not actually seeing very many bears down in them not not in a concentration like this year and i think a lot of places in what we were hunting even just in the last couple of weeks the prickly bears were ripe they, there was fruit on them but it in my opinion it wasn't like there was a spectacular volume of food right whereas the years where there is a high volume on the plant the bears we're killing aren't even in the prickly pears they're eating other crops. Yeah, well, it's just because, it, you know, the food's there. Not to sound cliche, but the food's there. And the, the preference seems to be, you know, seems to be the acorns. And, you know, like some previous discussions I had with you, I had with Josh. Like, if the, if the conditions were perfect and there were, a, you know, a full crop of the prickly pears and a full crop of the acorn, like, I'm 100% confident that the bears would favor the oaks. You know, they would favor getting out there to the oak plants and stay in those oak thickets. You know, I'm confident in that, but, you know, it seemed this year, the signs, you know, they were super early. We had bears coming into the city, you know, now that I think about it in early spring. I mean, it, that that happens, it seems like, every year, but this year, they killed a lot of nuisance bears and a lot of bears early in the year, you know, coming down to, to the city to try to find food and things like that. I mean, that was that was some of the earlier signs in the year, but yeah, I mean, it goes back all the way to last year, I guess, and how the precipitation falls and, you know, kind of how the plants are doing and all that, but... You know, the, the signs were certainly there early in the season. 
we this year though i feel like we kind of we took some good steps in the spring and, and figured out some new strategies for the spring and summer and i know you guys just uh you know went to a new location with your dad and your dad shot a bear on his birthday what was that like man you want to give a little bit of that story yeah that was a, a pretty cool weekend we went back up to the mountains again and uh got to be a part of him taking his technically the fifth bear that he shot on his 55th birthday and i wasn't actually with him when he shot the bear i was playing spotter with my almost two-year-old hanging out with me when it all happened our little daughter daughter ridgely she came up for the hunt so we took the wall tent up had a big camp and had had Cole and Cole and with me and my dad and uh and my little brother chance and man chance got to go after a, a bear the you know the first i guess evening that we were there i believe that he got to go after bear uh didn't didn't get into any sort of shooting opportunity before it took off and then we got caught in a crazy storm uh every one of us got soaked and hailed on and lightning that was unbelievable <laughs> that that uh, uh un- the unforgiving weather like that seems to be simultaneous with those august bear hunts you know like wherever you are or whatever you're doing that seems to be something you got to deal with that and bugs like that's you know those are those we're are factors. normally pretty cautious like we we try not to get caught in them like that but our, that came out of nowhere you know it was 20 miles away for hours and then in the time it took for us to go from the end of our glassing point and cross the one little ravine that we had to, to cross, it was, it looked like it had snowed on the ground from the amount of hail. It wasn't even enough time for us to run the 500 yards back to the truck. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. Yeah. That- Ch- Chance got to go after a bear and it was during the first, uh, August hunt. And that's when the dog guys were out and, and there were people everywhere everywhere <laughs> people driving roads i don't know what you're road hunting for black bears for um and dog people were road hunting like crazy <laughs> driving around trying to cut cut a scent trail or whatever um we, we went back to actually looking at the hill where i shot my bear and cole cole and cole went went down there first thing in the morning because i had ridgely and and me and my dad were and chance were at the tent yeah so. that boy that boy camp's always a, a ball of energy first thing in the morning even if he's not up man that boy he's ready to go and get it get after it so i can i can picture it yeah both both coals are ready to get after it so they got got to the glass and spot early got down there and then i took the time getting ridge ready and my dad hopped in with us and we, we went down towards the glass and spot and I caught Cole back on the road. He was driving all the way back to camp to come get us because they showed up to Glasson's spot and immediately found a bear up there, and it had a red ear tag on it. Yeah, so we we got down there. It was in a position that was pretty doable. So Cole McGuire and my dad took off after it. Why? Uh, well, we sat and and spotted and pretty quickly while me and Cole were watching it it we were like a mile and a half back it it started working down the face of the mountain and went out of sight from our perspective and there really wasn't anywhere that we could go as, as a spotter unless we went all the way to the top of the giant mountain right. behind us yeah. and still see the thing so we just 
we knew a direction and we just watched the rest of the face looking for another bear for one to see if something else would show up or to see if that thing would feed back up. So we, we sent them, they were probably halfway there when we lost sight of it. We kind of sent them into the drainage and they just, you know, slowly worked up it, periodically stopped, listened, looked around and eventually, you know, they kind of were walking up the bottom of the drainage and they they got on basically the right side of the drainage and so that they could see across it rather than just walking up and looking up both sides right that makes sense and cole actually heard a noise and and turned and saw the bear at really close range just saw the tip of its nose like come up over the brush and that's when he got my dad on the bear and talking to my dad after the fact, he originally told us that he thought it was 75 yards, but it, it might've been closer to 50. It didn't range <laughs> anything. Um, Cole got my dad to see the bear and my dad picked up the gun and offhand shot it. And it was kind of in a, a seated position, uh, eating, eating fruit off of a plant and shot it, you know, dead center in the spine on the back. It was basically kind of seated facing away and shot at center mass shooting for its, the presentation it was at, you know, shooting if you drew a straight line to the animal at the animal's heart and immediately the bear hit the ground and then it actually started crawling away. The thing was a machine. And so right after the first shot, Cole took his phone out and started filming and, my dad repositioned himself and put a second shot almost the same entrance spot, but at a different angle as, as the bear was crawling directly away from them. And that, that was probably under 50 yards on that shot. It was really close. Bear dropped again and actually started crawling with, with its front legs again and, and, and moved another maybe 10 yards into a bunch of deadfall. Yeah, that and thing expired right there. It all happened super quick. Um, but the bear from the first shot to this to the where it died still had moved 30 yards and interestingly, you know, after we dealt with the the bear and we're you know dealing with it on the ground, cutting it up, uh it dude, it was missing probably four vertebrae that were just absolutely destroyed really? that the amount of damage and cavitation from those bullets at, at close range was incredible. I don't know how that, how that thing could possibly have moved when it took that amount of energy at that a, close of a range. That was a, a good size. That was a good size boar though. I mean, about how big was that bear? It looked like a, looked like about a six foot bear or so from the pictures. It looked like a good size. Yeah. I, th- I think it was about six foot, uh, had a, a small, very thinly haired uh, white chevron on its chest and the the ear tag which was it was numbered one two three and it was a white mountain apache indian reservation tag so it had probably been tagged as a problem bear or something and, and of course we killed it on public land and a long ways from the reservation <laughs> so that's that was super interesting that's crazy how that works i mean going back to like that's that's exactly what we were just talking about like how how these bears move and manipulate their environments to get food and just you know they they seem to find out 
anything edible, anything, you know, that they can really get their paws on quite literally that, that is a, is a source of protein form or a source of, even if it's predominantly sugar, they seem to just hammer that stuff. It's so no telling how far, you know, that bear walked just to get the food that he was looking for. But congrats to your dad, man. I mean, that sounds like a, sounds like a really good time having your daughter there and him being there with his granddaughter. Like that's, that's just, uh, that picture is super cool, you know, like that's something you'll be able to look back with your, your young daughter and, and your, and her grandfather and that, like that's, that's just an awesome memory. I'm jealous. I wasn't able, able to make that with you guys. My, my dad probably could have cared less that he shot another bear actually. Like I know he wanted to do it. It was a position that he could. <laughs> so we sit, sit him after it. Cause you know, for the last nine, 10 years of hunting bears, of uh, he's always had a tag in his pocket, always brought a weapon, but I don't think I've actually even seen him ever go after one. Cause they're just weren't in positions that he could ever get to. Right. And so that was super cool after that amount of time for him to be able to shoot a bear for one and to have my daughter there and it be on his 55th birthday. And so we, we heard him shoot it. Obviously didn't see, we didn't have a line of sight when it happened. So we, we Cole and I got, went and got my brother and, and we put the packs on and, and hiked the mile or so, a little over a mile, maybe a mile and a quarter over to them. Man, it was probably only 100 yards where that bear died from where you and I were sitting when I shot my bear. Got it. It was below that on the hillside. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Basically, literally at the bottom of, of the mountain where, where it went down, that bear had just hit that drainage, that cut on the face of the mountain, and just took that line of brush and just went straight down the drainage, walking you know, into the, the bigger, thicker forest in the bottom and Ridgely was super excited to see anything in the phone scope to watch any of the bears and he can't keep a, a two-year-old quiet when she is all excited and <laughs> looking at bears in the phone scope but then she get she sees these in the office and and we eat bear meat all the time and she's was a little scared of my big rug when it first went up on the wall because was in a closet for yeah, a long time. Yeah, it's kind of overwhelming. That thing, and that rug's huge, you know? I mean, it's enormous. That one's understanding to be scared of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she, loves the, she loves the smaller one, my first bear that's on the floor. She lays on it all the time. But she saw that real bear on the ground, and it, she was super unsure of what, <laughs> what to do, how to react to yeah. it. Was, she was overwhelmed by it. And it was, like you said, it was not a small bear. Uh my dad my dad had a pretty funny reaction to it when we first glassed it up see it in the glass and he goes oh it's not a big bear and then uh once once we hike over there after he shot the thing he goes well it was a little bigger than i thought it was (laughs) (laughs) so so to segue into that i wanted to talk about this a little bit it's hard to not pay attention on social media to what happens and let's talk a little bit about trying to field judge bears like uh there's there's no exact science to it but there's some things that i think that people can do to try to kill a to try to increase their odds of killing a boar to try to increase their odds of killing a bigger bear to try to have the confidence and ability to look at a bear and say you know i'm not going to shoot at that bear there there was definitely some some chastising taking place like on social media and things like that for some of the bears that people shot some of them rightfully so and we talked about this just a little bit earlier you know with it being a prickly pear year and there being a a larger harvest of female bears it always kind of re-sparks the debate you know 
that that people aren't taking their time to you know to properly try to identify a bear or properly kill a male bear or, or or really respect the species to to try to you know do the right thing and kill a male bear we do some things when we glass man like I, I know some of the stories that we've told like and sometimes it happens quick like if you see a good mature legal bear and you're in range and the way it all happens maybe you don't have you know the the capability of like you know identifying a sex but like let's say that you do have that ability to to see the animal on a hillside and you're in the setup that you want you know like here your vantage point what are some things that you that somebody could do to increase their odds of killing a boar or uh you know things that they could do to try to identify the sex like you know we watched a big bear not the red-eared tag bear that your dad killed but a different red-eared tag bear and you would have almost thought an initial glance at this bear just from the sheer size you're like male bear like that's a boar we happened to be glassing that bear and watch the bear pee and you could see the urine go backwards and like that was an indication that we saw okay well you know that that's a female bear how it went to the bathroom what are some things that you got that can maybe you know help people identify the sex of a bear or, or increase their odds of, of killing a boar if that makes sense uh, you just hit on like the first initial thing and it, it's the size of the bear if it, it most of the time from what we've seen when it looks small it is small and odds are it's probably a female and when they look big they look like a dominant bear moves around with swagger on the mountain right moves you know moves their body around like a, a bodybuilder trying to walk around on the hillside uh, those bigger bears have typically been older bigger boars and big blockier head on them you know just more pronounced muscle tone to them right but again like you were saying you get into confusing situations like with the the bear we called spirit bear this year which for the first you know we saw that bear over of course several days re repeatedly and the first several times we glass it up we thought we for sure confident we thought it was a boar. it was a boar yeah, yeah. Until we really got a bunch of different angles looking at it, and we, you could tell that the head shape was not right. It had a big body on it, and it was a fat bear. It was actually the only fat bear we've seen all year. Yeah, like that was a belly sagger. Yeah, and but the head on that bear looked like my very first bear that's on the floor. It's just a old age class sow, and had really pronounced ears, has a big giant head on it. So did this bear we're talking about, but still had that pointy nose and not a blocky head like the bigger boars that we've killed. Right. First thing, when we glass up a bear, like immediately we're trying to determine how big roughly is the body size. We're, we're using plants and rocks and different things to try to get an estimate based on the surroundings of roughly the body size of that bear. And... Let me let me stop you right there. Like, dude, I think that's a that's a really valuable tip. <laughs> like, being aware of the size of boulders and the size of trees and about how big is that really large ponderosa over there. Like, that's that that to me is one of the best ways to get a because bears are often moving so quick as they go across the hill or they move over this boulder, or they move over that log. They give you a lot of opportunities to kind of like compare them to different things on the hillside. Like, to me. 
I think we've used that, like, we've used that a bunch. Well, that boulder right there is that big. That Ponderosa is 24 inches wide, and it was, it was one plus, you know, two of those. Like, that, I think, is a, sorry to cut you off there, man. I think that's a solid tip, and it's something that anybody can do. Just be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of the size of the things that are, that are on the hillside that you're looking at, you know? We go back and forth with every single bear that we glass up on okay, the, the, you know, the trees that it's walking between in this stand, the average trunk width, those trees is, is 18 inches is our estimate. And our different hillside, we might be saying that the trees are 12 inches. And we're taking note of when that bear passes a certain point and we have, you know, a specific thing as our reference point that is as close as can be to a known size. Preferably we've been on the hillside before right. and have some sort of reference. And in many cases we have, yeah, in many cases. And in many cases we have. We've been over there after something and usually after the first stock going into an area. During that process, you go on a failed stock, be taking note of what's around you and, you know, you know, say you realize that all the prickly pear on that hillside are, are 30 to 34 inches tall and they're five and a half feet wide. And the pad width is you know, an average of seven inches roughly wide and nine to, to 11 inches tall. So that when you're sitting back there at a mile, the, the cactus or the trees that are next to you might not be the same, but odds are they're going to be pretty similar. But then you have a reference point when you see an animal going across that hillside that from that distance you have no idea. It's not like, oh, yeah, that's a average-bodied mule deer. They're all pretty much similar in size. Uh, it's not the case. You don't, know, you don't generally know the age of the bear from a mile away. There's no way to tell. It looks pretty much the same or very similar when they're three and a half feet long to when they're seven feet long. Right. But it's paying attention to those subtle differences and basing it off of the terrain that that bear is in to try to determine how big the body is. That's like the first thing on, if you want to go shoot a boar, uh, you need to make sure it's got a big body, for one. That's a pretty dead giveaway is there's dimorphism between the sexes and mature boars are typically, on average, going to weigh more than mature sows right so look for the bigger bears right and you know furthermore like to compare the two the just the way that the females act it's a lot more obvious uh we we saw so many times this year where we were glassing up a a, a bear and then maybe another bear moved on to the hillside like kiki who we knew was a sow like we watched that bear the boar i ended up killing came tailing that bear but they seemed to move a little bit different like um, and we saw it with Cole's bear, like the, we, we, the signs were right in front of us with Cole's spring bear, how that bear slowly moved up the hill. We knew that there was two bears. Like, I think if we really had done that right, we could have walked out of that Canyon with the bigger boar. There was two bears on that hill. And you know, the boars will, if you're paying attention, a lot of times, you know, there might be one more than one bear on the hillside and boars will push them a little bit and the sows walk and look back a little more. They're a little bit more hesitant we saw that a lot this year i'm not sure if it had anything to do with bears not having cubs with them but this year we saw a lot of bears where we saw a female shortly after a boar tailing it we saw that a bunch this year it was a super good example to see the body language side by side and particularly like with the bear kiki that you're talking about and the boar that you shot those bears were about the same size bodies body wise right we saw them at essentially exactly the same distance, you know, 
45 yards apart at different times. It, and, and saw them from the same perspective where you and I were shooting, shooting from. And so we knew that they were very comparable in body size, but the body language of the black bear was very timid and careful and it moved around real dainty on the rocks and the bear that you shot that cinnamon boar that came out he just walked out of the trees like this is my mountain yeah he was gonna this is where i'm gonna eat these are my raspberries right here get this rock out of my way just be bopping around on the hillside like like he was a thug walking down on the hill the and, and we got to see those two bears within 50 yards of each other, the body language difference. But we've seen that repeatedly that, that the mature boars have a major difference in body language. And it's kind of like looking at humans. It is right. No, absolutely. You know, generally speaking, it's, it's, it sounds pretty obvious, but you know, smaller eyes, smaller ears with on a bigger body bear, you know, the, that's, that's kind of some indications you're looking for. Uh, on, on the young bears, you can you can generally tell yeah. by that, you know. I mean, and you talked a little bit about the head shape of the of the females and and the and the boars, or the sows and the boars. You talked about that head shape a little bit earlier, you know, where the, where the sows seem to be a little bit more flatter and a little bit more pointy, where the boars get a lot more boxy by the ears, and you you can almost see. On big boars, you'll see the head almost start like curling together a little bit, and people say pumpkin heads because it kind of curves back in. To me, it looks like a big pit bull head on the on the tall ones. So you can look for those features in bears, you know, as another way. We've we've killed a couple sows this year. I'm not really opposed to people killing sows. That wasn't the point of getting after this, but I am opposed to like we saw some you know really small bears being killed, and I I think that people should be a little bit more responsible than that and, and put a little bit more time into trying to kill a good-sized bear, you know? We, we've heard stories, I think, Dylan, you were telling me, I can't remember the exact age, but they killed like a like a 90-pound sow that was like 20 years old or something, right? I, I, I can't... Uh, I, don't, I don't remember the exact details, but it was, you know, during an archery deer hunt and had an archery deer client that had a bear tag in their pocket at the time, shot a bear, and it was... A bear that you could have picked up with one hand, but it ended up being like a twenty plus so, year so old to me, sow or so something So to me, though, ridiculous. that's that's kind of cool, though. Like it's kind of cool that he that they got like a super old bear like that. That they hit it at a point where like that thing's not reproducing. It, it is probably going to die a little bit later on. So you know some well, of the stuff. And, he's, and if if you look at it though, that's kind of what we were looking at. I shot a sow this year. We've we've already put that out there. I shot a sow the, the last week of a. Uh, four month season it was literally like yeah it was the last week and it was going to be able to be open last last week it was going to be open i shot a sow and we knew that was an older bear right you could tell that bear looked rough we knew it looked rough we knew it was an older bear and that was what i wanted to shoot was an older bear and we at first thought that cole's bear that he shot which he he again killed that bear on the last week of a multi-week hunt and opted to shoot a, a sow like the last Sunday the season was going to be open anyways because that's the bear that gave him the shot opportunity but at first when we first watched that bear we thought it was a younger bear because of the body size the more time we spent watching that bear the, the older we realized that thing was and then even after we decided that that's the bear Cole was going to go kill. And he went down there and had a shot opportunity and took the thing. 
it wasn't big body. We already we already had determined roughly the size of it. It was a little bigger than we thought it was because our reference points were our our trees on the mountain were larger than we thought they were from a mile. But that bear was also substantially older than we thought it was. I imagine he hasn't got his tooth back, but did he get any information on the, the on the age, do you know, from the taxidermist? Or did they just say he was old? I think what he was told was over 15, and because of the teeth wear on it, um, which it wouldn't surprise me if that bear is actually older than that. We'll find out, and it'll be interesting. We didn't take the time to look at like the back molars on that bear when we were dealing with it, because um, we didn't the skull out on the mountain uh, but the front teeth were substantially worn and they were very comparable to my first bear that i shot which was an 11 year old sow right they were probably a little bit more worn than that when he had it caped out of the taxidermist that's where they were taking note of those back molars and you know they were missing the tops of the molars and a ton of teeth wear on that bear so it actually was a really old bear too but not big in body size so sows can be particularly hard to estimate you know how old you think that bear is based on body size body size yeah. is a bear, very bad indicator of age on sows because there's such a range yeah i agree because we've killed them that have been you know around 100 pounds all the way to like cody's bear which was like 300 pounds and filled up four pack frames right um well all of the sows that we've killed have actually been on average older than the boars yeah, I even think, though yeah. their body size has been all over the place, and I, you know, divorce. on that on that note, I thought it was interesting. You you talked to uh, Dustin from the Region Six office, uh, the Mesa, the Game and Fish office, and you guys were talking about uh, you know some of the female bears killed on the the Unit Twenty Three South. Did you guys uh, didn't you say he said that the average age killed was four years old, or the younger no the youngest one killed? You said or he said was four years old on those bears. Yeah, so uh, we made a comment that more sows have been killed than usual. That's not exactly an accurate comment. What what we as a group, kind of the bear hunting community, was talking about when the first fall, quote-unquote fall, because it's still in summer when the season opens, hunt opened, was not the amount of sows killed because there's a quota on it, but how quickly that quota was reached because usually that specific hunt stays open for six days meets the individual hunt quota closes on wednesday and then it almost always reopens on the second hunt two weeks later right stays open for another six days and meets the annual on the second hunt so on a normal year like just an average year that season is open 12 total days in that unit that they meet the annual sow quota now last year it didn't even meet the annual sow quota in August. It actually opened up on the third season, which it typically does not. It's like one in every five years that it even makes it to that third season because so few were killed in the earlier season. So this year hit the annual on the very first hunt to open. And it actually hit the annual like within the weekend. Before you know, that the way the statute is set up once the quota is met, the hunt remains open until the sundown the following Wednesday. Um, so I was I was having a conversation with Dustin about it because there was there were rumors going around that because of the ratio of sows to boars killed, that there was potential that season dates would move around. 
And so I wanted to call and talk to somebody that actually knew anything about the, the bears that were taken. Which and is a, which is a really interesting conversation in and of itself. Like how that it, could happen. It, it, it would. Yeah. It was a super interesting conversation to have with him. Um, so if the average age, the median age of sows harvested in a unit, you know, there's a sow quota for, for each unit and for the year, and there's sow quotas for the individual hunts when it's met for the hunt, that season closes on that following Wednesday. Um, if it, and then once the uh, annuals met, it closes for the year and any, any seasons that would have opened in the regulations after that are closed. So if the average age of those of the sows killed in the unit is less than five, they can start removing and, and changing season dates, and they can push it back so that that hunt will start in November 1st, which are, are a couple units up on top of the rim uh, that open November 1st to the end of, end of December because the sows that were getting killed in that unit were too young. Um, so I've in my conversation with Dustin, I was wondering, you know, what his thoughts on the bears that he checked in, which he said it was just ridiculous how many how many bears in a in a short period of time that they that they checked in with the, when all the units opened. Um, but he said the youngest bear that he checked in, he thought was four, which kind of surprised me because a bunch of them on an August night you're not expecting to see huge right. bodied fat bears right most of the time they don't have any fat on them in august that's really common so most of the bears look a lot skinny skinnier scrawnier by the time their muscle mass is still comparable to what it would be in the fall like the amount of meat you get off of august bears still pretty similar to an october bear right. or a april bear but they don't have three to four to five inches of fat on them uh, in august as they might in october on a good mass crop year it's not like dealing with a marine mammal when no, you that, actually yeah. put one on the ground. No, it makes it makes sense. That's uh, you know, the Arizona guys, man, bunch of bear killing, freezer filling mofos. Like the the boys, boys got it done out here. But yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to think that, or it's it's actually good to know that they have something set up. At least in my opinion, to where you know, if if there is a specific number of females getting harvested, and that I think it's neat that they got that age set up, you know, to kind of protect some of those units. But you know. Me and you go back and forth on it with he a lot of. Seemed, he didn't seem to indicate that there was any concern that season dates would change. He was, uh, I guess, as surprised as you and I were at the fact that the hunt didn't open up twice, but it wasn't very surprising. Right. Because he was also very familiar with what the feed conditions look like. Yeah, it, it was not a shock at all that the hunt was only open six days. Because of the feed conditions. We knew that it was going to be like that in December of 2017. <laughs> we knew that that He's unit gonna was going to get slammed yeah. and the units next door uh, because of the previous winter conditions. The prickly and, pear years are nuts, man. And, and they don't, you know, they come only every five to eight years, you know, but it's, it's nuts how it happens. And you know, people were out there, they were ready and, you know. I was happy for a lot of guys. A lot of people got their first bears, and a lot of people had a good time. So, you know, it was it was well, it was exciting to watch. That's that's an interesting statement, though. It goes back to what we we're talking about before that 
prickly pear years, you know, come in these like five to eight yearish cycles. Um, it's not entirely true, actually, because there's fruit on them almost every single year, like we're no. talking about. But yeah, yeah, yeah. in that time period is is when there's the like the winter drought conditions that Correct. force the bears into that food source. But there's there's <laughs> food on them. Almost yeah, there's every, every year. year. Yeah, that's, so that's a that's that's a, that's a funny little misunderstanding. Yeah, to me, a prickly pear just means a prickly pear year just means that there was a such a lack of some other food source, but just enough food on the prickly pears to make the bears come down and like concentrate in those pockets. Has nothing to do. It's like you could be in some awesome stuff, and that's what we were saying earlier. Where the prickly pears are just huge and plump and ripe, but you know what? If the conditions were right for the other plants that the bears prefer, then they're not going to be eating those pears. But yeah, so the, the conditions have to be bad, but just right, you know, for, for all that to fall into place. I was a little bit disappointed sitting back to, like, I've been wanting to, to hunt bears and prickly pears on a year like this. And, you know, last time that it happened for us was really like it seemed like it was like that 2012 year but i like what we've learned and where we've gone i would have really liked to enjoy that this year so it was you know i'm not gonna lie it's kind of tough sitting back you got your tag filled and you know not able to get out and do those but you know this the season goes on and opportunities go on and we're st we're still going to be hunting stuff coming up in october we'll be out hunting bears i'm getting pretty excited for for next weekend man i got a uh at that September elk tag, you're going to get out there and, and help me call. You know, admittedly, I don't even know how many days you're going to join me, but we'll have a we'll have a good time and uh, get out there and try to get something down. Uh, knowing you, you'll get me. You're going to talk me into shooting something real quick. Uh, hopefully podcast out there, too. I hope you're excited for that, man. And, you know, elk hunting is actually something that we haven't done together yet. So that that's going to be a first in a sense. No, we haven't. Uh, yeah, I'm going up this weekend to go scout for the early rifle tag uh just a couple units away from your archery tag and then got you you on the calendar um gonna go up you know the evening before the opener and hunt the opener and first saturday with you i gotta come back on uh sunday though for my daughter's birthday party her birthday is actually the following weekend but i need to be scouting for elk that weekend <laughs> so we're celebrating her birthday a week week early so uh then i'll be back back out after your hunt um if you're still going by then hopefully get to come back and help you because i won't be too far too far right. away anyways i can bounce back and forth between scouting and so and, and hunting so we're gonna um this is gonna be out into the public before the hunt opens do you got any do you got any tips for somebody maybe going out on a on an early archery elk hunt you got some some basic tips for somebody or some don't do's or some some definitely tries or, or take this with you you got any type of tips like that uh, how serious do you want me to be with the tips? <laughs> uh, I mean, as serious as you want to be, I mean, it could be something dumb. Like don't carry too much stuff. Like that's something that I'll throw out there. I learned that last year. Like I'm, I pack light. I got my range finder and some water. I have to have my pack. Like some guys wear the fanny packs. I'm not going to wear a fanny pack, but you know, I would say pack light and, and don't quit hunting, man. Like hunt, you got this hunt coming up. You've been waiting for the tag or you're lucky like me and got it back to back years. Like hunt almost all day you know go like hunt you know start in the dark end in the dark walk out in the dark I that's you know little things like 100%. that you know little things like that i think can make or break your hunt and you know if you're tired of walking go sit water in the middle of the day or, or find a wallow and and be ready to to move a really giant animal i wasn't ready when i 
first elk I killed, you know, you walk <laughs> up and you're like, dang, you know, that, that is absolutely enormous. You know, you be prepared for that and, or maybe look something up on how to, how to bone out an animal, you know, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. You got any tips like that? Yeah. I mean, if you're totally unfamiliar with elk hunting, uh, go to sportsman's, some sort of sporting goods store that has hunting stuff and go get a set of reeds and pull up some YouTube videos and throw a reed in your mouth on the way to and from work, figuring out how to cow call and bugle with a reed um, between now and your hunt, and even struggle with it during the hunt. And when you're when you're calling, just like super basic, start off with figure out how to make a locate bugle, figure out how to make a basic cow call, and then whatever you do, listen to the elk and just try to do what the elk are doing. And uh, you know, second little tip, other than learn how to use a call, is uh, that's that's a pretty good tip right there. Don't be afraid to go fast. Yeah, we talked about that in uh, calling it stocking in on stuff. Yeah, we talked about that Uh, a little bit with Josh on the on the podcast that we did. Like, move quick. You know, it's it's not it's not the same spot and stock game that you're playing with the coos whitetail. You know, you can have a little bit more confidence and move a little bit more freely and be a little bit more aware of your strengths and be know where your strength is on the hunt and know where your leverage is. Like it takes a little level of confidence to do that, but that confidence could, you know, could kind of take your hunt to the next level. Absolutely. Keep the wind in your, in your face, in your favor and move as quick as you can to cut down the distance until you're almost within that range that you think you can actually get it to come into the call, not just respond to you. You got to be, go, go get to that bubble, go get to, you know, the, within the 400 yards or 200 yards on the terrain, a hundred yards, go get in there as close as you can and then slow down and try to get the thing to come into you. Right. Um, but cover some ground. It, I think you're going to have more fun and have, obviously way more opportunities if you aren't afraid to just go cover some ground pay attention to the wind and go get in there well man um you got any closing comments you got anything you want to add to the podcast or anything else that you wanted to talk about uh no uh, not a whole lot i put the whiteboard up on the wall finally and and filled in the schedule last night and uh whiteboard's pretty much filled up so we'll got the got all the spring spring application choices lined out on the whiteboard and ready to go and all the day, days off from the, the real real job to make everything work laid out so i'm just waiting for the weekend at this point get get through the week and uh get on to some elk it'll, it'll be a nice nice change of pace and change of species to do something different for a minute and and uh man i'm i'm pretty optimistic to where you and I will be hunting on your hunt and uh, where I'll be hunting with my cousin on, on the early rifle hunt that we can we can find some real giants this year, even despite the previous winter and spring conditions and, and what the feed looked like earlier in the year. I, I think those, those areas that we're going to be in still have – will still have pretty normal corn growth. Well – I'm really excited, man, and blessed that you're going to come out there and help me. So I think it's going to be a ton of fun. It's up to you, man. you got to make sure you get an elk 
right there in range. You know, I'm not a crack shot with my bow, but if you put it, if you get one right in there for me, man, we're going to, we're going to have some fun and, you know, I'm going to be sending a good shot and the majestical path of that arrow, man, hopefully lands, you know, right in its home. It's going to be a good time. I'm super excited. (laughs) Well, you you think I'm crazy with bear hunting and tactics. Let's go do some elk hunting. All right, man. I'm super excited. (laughs) Thanks for joining me tonight, man. Say, uh, say hello to the wife and kids. Hope you guys have a good night. Everybody else, thank you for listening. Sorry about the delay. We've been uh, we've been busy, kind of going through a lot, but we'll be right back on it and gonna gonna record another podcast in the woods next weekend. Hopefully, we get some get some elks bugling in the background. But at the very least, you know, have a good time around the campfire. And you know, if you if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to to leave a comment or even subscribe. Other than that, have a great night.